Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending January 28th, 2023. This week, ratings, ratings, ratings. I'm sorry, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kim Hollis, the surprise 30th entrant in the Royal Rumble. That's That's cheating. You, (laughs) I mean, you didn't have to fight your way through 29 of them. <laughs> Just one year, I want someone to declare that they want to be number two in the Royal Rumble, <laughs> and then someone to go, you know, that's the same as being number one. No, it's not. I think your Royal Rumble performance will go about as well as that time Vince McMahon blew out both his quads. <laughs> <laughs> With me are Tim Brady, content creator and gamer, now streaming on HBO Max. Uh, hold on, I'm just been handed a note here. Um, I, I am no longer streaming on HBO Max. Well, easy come, easy go, I guess. <laughs> also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride, streaming media analyst, and suddenly a hot name again after 25 years. It's been a hard week to be an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who's looking to launch his own regional sports network to supplement his Bitcoin holdings. All the money, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Can I buy an NFT of that? (laughs) We'll cover a couple of stories quickly this week in our rapid fire. Both of them were news this week, but they could have been predicted months ago. And they were. First up, Comcast announced their quarterly earnings for Q4 this week. The NBCU streaming service Peacock reported a $978 million loss during the quarter, but it picked up 5 million subscribers, bringing it to 20 million. That's right. Peacock's is even ripping off Disney Plus when it comes to adding subscribers and losing money. <laughs> you know, they sold a few cars out of the carpool just so that they could say they didn't lose a billion dollars. The uh, the loss is, is not unexpected. They have been saying all along that Peacock would be losing money hand over fist as it grew and will have a lot more to say about Peacock during the ratings segment. The flip side of this conversation is that Comcast also reported losing 440,000 cable video subscribers during the same quarter. I don't know that there's much more to add to this conversation. We've been saying it for three years now. Cable TV is on its last legs. I do think there are two important things we should cover here. The first is that, to my surprise, Comcast and NBC Universal announced they were absolutely dedicated to Peacock. They believe that even though it's going to lose money in the short term, that this is the plan. Are they saying that because they have to? It's Comcast. They get paid to lie for a living, so maybe. But the other thing is, the reason why this particular loss isn't surprising is because, as a reminder, they are now using the content that had been on Hulu that has been transferred over to Peacock. So it changes both their earnings outlook and their expenditures. I just realized I'm one of those 440,000. Cool. That's it. I got nothing else, folks. (laughs) The other story we saw coming relates to the Sinclair subsidiary, Diamond Sports, operators of the Bally Sports Regional Sports Networks. Bloomberg reported this week that they were readying to file for bankruptcy. 
Yep, saw it coming a mile away. Sinclair was content to burden their subsidiary with the debt and then let it fail. It appears that Diamond Sports has two paths out of this. The first was to get bailed out by the very sports leagues they've been broadcasting, MLB, the NBA, and the NHL. That was a rumor we reported some months ago. That option doesn't appear to have materialized. So plan B is to go into bankruptcy and have the debtors become the new owners. That'll be interesting to see. It's reported in the Bloomberg article that those debtors don't want to own it and will probably sell it almost as quickly as they possibly can. Yeah, that's the thing about it. That's what the Sinclair slash Bally slash Diamond sports people want. That's not necessarily what's going to happen. This is them kind of floating a trial balloon and going, hey, about that $140 million we have to pay next week, we're totally good for it, but we're, we're not going to pay that. What if instead of that, we gave you, you know, like a, a line on the stuff that's been losing us so much money? Would you like that? Would you like to be an owner of a thing that we've proven is not a sound investment? You don't? What? Oh. That's the concern here. Even if these debtors, these banks, essentially ended up owning the regional sports networks, who would they sell it to? There's no one out there that wants to get into this business. And ultimately, this is an issue that surprisingly trickles up to the leagues because of large reason for why Diamond Sports is in so much debt is these massive sports contracts that they're paying for basketball, baseball, and hockey. And you could just imagine that if these regional sports networks were to just vanish overnight, go out of business, then these leagues have to convince somebody else to pick up these rights hopefully for the same or more money. We've seen it with the NFL. Everyone's always willing to pay more and more and more every year for that contract. But everyone's going to look and say, look, Diamond Sports went under paying you the number you asked for. So why would I pay you that much? I'm just going to go under as well. No, I think we've hit this, this tipping point in the business. Sports rights are going to become cheaper going forward because it's unsustainable. I think that's what will happen in the short term with baseball specifically. The NFL is impervious. I mean, with the NFL, it's just a question of how much more they make. And I believe that's also true of the NBA, whose contracts have continually risen during the 21st century. Baseball is an interesting situation. I mean, if you read some of the articles, they're saying that certain teams, like sadly the St. Louis Cardinals, are really going to take a hit over this if it breaks a certain way, because they're very highly paid. The ones who have signed the most recent contracts, and now Diamond is basically saying, we're not going to pay these people anything. Now, that's not going to work. I mean, Major League Baseball is stronger than Diamond, so it can do things to stop this. But we have reached that weird tipping point. It's kind of something we talked about with wrestling, with AEW and WWE. Right now, it's a timing thing where the money isn't there. And so if you suddenly have rights you have to license, you're not going to get what you could last year or probably three years from now. And that has ramifications beyond just media. I mean, there are also teams that might need to do trades now because they can't actually make the payroll they expected. It's an unfortunate situation for professional sports, but this was something that was going to inevitably happen when year over year, contract over contract, the, the payouts became bigger and bigger. Eventually, 
it, it's unsustainable. You just can't continue paying those kinds of absurd sums of money. The land rush for streaming where people wanted content and honestly cheap to produce content, and that meant live sports, now I think has to broaden beyond just the major sports, the NFL, MLB, NBA, and NHL. Right now, <laughs> Major League Soccer is locked up by Apple for a number of years. And I think what we're going to see instead of large payouts for the major professional sports, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of the fringe sports. Didn't we just hear recently that there was going to be, uh, was it ESPN just signed a deal for pickleball? Yes, pickleball whatever that is. So yeah, look for more of that. ESPN 8, the Ocho, is one of the best jokes of the 2000s because it's become real. It's become real, exactly. It has. Pickleball's a game I played when I was like in junior high school or high school. So resurgence. Our deep dive this week is all about ratings. You'll have noticed that our episode last week was a little short. That's because Nielsen didn't release their ratings until early the following week. Then they released the subsequent ratings as usual. So we've got not one, but two weeks worth of ratings. And on top of that, we've got the full 2022 ratings to review as well. So Tim. Oh, yeah. oh, God. oh God, we do? Oh, yeah. oh okay. <laughs> well, all right, yeah. Uh, buckle up, folks. Is, yeah, we have, uh, we're starting off with Nielsen Stream ratings for Monday, December 19th to Sunday, December 25th. Uh, we start with a rarity because as the top original show is not from Netflix, but from Amazon Prime Video as Jack Ryan knocks Wednesday off the top with 1.8 billion minutes viewed as the third season of eight episodes dropped on December 21st. I mean, we're not we're not surprised by that number, right? No, but I feel that it's been a slow burn for Jack Ryan and mm-hmm. uh, and they've hit their stride here with season three. Congratulations to them. I think I've heard people say good things or better things about season three than they said about season two. And uh, and it's it's paying off. Yeah, this doesn't happen often where it's not a Netflix show at the top. Uh, we, we had to double double check, but Rings of Power actually did do it once and then Reacher as well in 2022, right? That's right. Uh, Amazon has, you know, tried to punch above their weight with Netflix. It's It's been almost universally Netflix for 52 weeks. And every mm-hmm. once in a while, Amazon yeah. would uh, sneak in there. Most of the time, Netflix would keep them out of the top spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, Amazon tried with The Terminal List and a, and a handful of other shows, but it was rare to see them in the first place. Yeah. The only time it's ever happened, boy, it's not been Netflix, it's been an Amazon Prime show. I swear, like, Wheel of Time did it once before before plummeting down the list on on maybe a, a light week, but yeah, it's it's so this is rare company for for Jack Ryan, uh, but that's that's a that's a good number. Uh, I mean, Netflix was still had a pretty good week because you know they're they're in second with with Wednesday right behind it, uh, just under one point eight billion minutes, and I think the holiday weeks continued to keep it afloat after launching with massive numbers. I mean, it's if you look at that um, Netflix's top ten chart and look at the very bottom of that page is their their most watched programs ever, and this is right behind Stranger Things season four as their second most viewed show ever in the first month, and there's a big drop between second and third. It's ridiculous. Like everybody freaking saw this show. I would not have predicted that prior to this this debut. Uh, the recruit from Netflix is in third, just under 1.7 billion minutes for the first full week of its availability. Like I said, they absolutely killed it uh, on this holiday week, even though they didn't have the top show. Uh, and the following week too, hold on for more. Uh, we do have a returning show in fourth. Here is Emily in Paris, uh, 1.4 billion minutes for 30 total episodes. The third season of 10 episodes dropped December 21st, much like last year when the second season also arrived around this time as well. So not surprised to see it back at all. 
even though I know nobody who watches the show. That's because they don't know any middle school girls, Tim. Uh, and, oh, okay. Well, and the, that's fine. Yes, that's a good thing. Okay, yes. All right. Uh, one thing that seemed to have happened over the holidays is, well, despite the bad news and in, in the, the deep dive, a lot of people realized they had Peacock, as we have The Best Man, the final chapters in fifth, 762 million minutes viewed for eight episodes that dropped on December 22nd. Wait, yeah, wait, wait. Go. This was the one that Peacock advertised. Oh, there's a cause and effect here. Funny how that works. Yeah. <laughs> and I do wonder how serious they are now about the final chapters since they actually made the top 10 with this. Right. Yeah. I think this is the first time that we've seen them on the originals chart. So yeah, congratulations. Uh, there's some stuff we've seen before. Harry and Megan is six, 699 million minutes. I am a killer, 597 million minutes and Sonic Prime was here last week or last time we had ratings, 490 million minutes. Uh, I'm taking credit for this one because new in ninth is Alice in Borderland. Uh, Nielsen says 11 episodes, but it's actually 16 and 488 million minutes viewed. The first season arrived in December 2020, while the, the second on December 22nd. But I expected to see it here when we got the second season because after Squid Game blew up in 2021... This was the show people recommended if you wanted the closest thing to it. And once it got a second season, yeah, I was like, okay, once once this shows up on Netflix, it's going to make make the ratings. And this is actually a Japanese series, by the way. Yeah, exactly right. That's the the same thing I was gonna bring up is that Squid Game seems to be like your gateway into this series. Yeah, it was like, oh, you like Squid Game? Yeah, you should watch this. And then yep. it was it was obviously old at that that point. But I, when when they made more, I'm like, I talked about it on What's New for that week. I'm like, we will see this on the ratings. So I called this one. Um, uh, originals wraps up with the Santa Clauses from Disney Plus, six episodes, 487 million minutes. Movies, and here's why we were sad that we had to wait next week for these ratings because we were waiting for this this number. Your top movie is, of course, Glass Onion and I Was Out Mystery. Uh, 2.2 billion minutes after arriving on Netflix on December 23rd after a week-long run in a few theaters in November. Three days, 2.2 billion minutes. Yeah, that's amazing. And I was, David and I were part of that. Yep. I was as well with, with my parents. I spent Christmas at my folks and yet yeah, we made plans to, to watch this because we knew it would, would be there and we all very much enjoyed it. And yeah, I'm not surprised that this is one of the biggest movie numbers that we'll, we've seen in quite some time. Uh, we have some Christmas stuff, uh, unsurprisingly. It's the week before the holiday. Uh, Home Alone from Disney Plus in second, 926 million minutes. HBO Max's How the Grinch Stole Christmas and Elf, third and fourth, 864 million and 836 million minutes, respectively. Disney Plus again with Home Alone 2, 665 million minutes. HBO Max's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, 580 million minutes. Something new in seventh, though, The Volcano Rescue from Bakari, 561 million minutes for a documentary that arrived on December 16th about a volcanic interruption and some uh, heroics. Yeah, uh, when we mentioned it previously, we... We did look down on it as being exploitive. Uh, I think that there is some merit to this. Now, will Netflix exploit the story? Uh, knowing Netflix, probably yes. But it, there is a story to be told here. This is a volcano that erupted and some tourists got trapped and some helicopter pilots rescued them. So there is there's a story to be told. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We didn't deny that part. It's just, yeah, it's the exploitive part. Like if there's um, a second documentary and then a fictional adaptation, yeah, then that's when you go too far. But yeah, not not that Netflix has ever done that before. But uh, but yeah, this is this is drew in enough viewers with the. It's an intriguing uh, real life story here. Something else new from Disney Plus. Uh, Strange World, five hundred twenty seven million minutes after arriving on December twenty third after. 
kind of flopping in theaters. Uh, this is an okay start for three days, I guess. I mean, I, I could say that because I know what's coming next week, but maybe could have done better. But I mean, I guess it's not bad. Yeah, this goes back to the conversation about whether Disney might have benefited from just leaving it exclusively to streaming. And did it leave a bad taste in the mouths of audiences by flopping in theaters? Mm-hmm. Would it have just been considered a full-on success if it had been exclusively to streaming? Yeah, we know they always traditionally have a Thanksgiving Day release. I mean, that's when Encanto first appeared, but it didn't take off till till a month later. I'm curious if they were hoping for the same thing here, but you know, just to a smaller degree, because not everything can be Encanto. But well, we'll wait, just wait to see what happens when we get the following week's numbers. Uh, we wrap up movies with more Christmas stuff. Just we get these out of the way, out of the way. A Christmas Story. This is from HBO Max, 425 million minutes, and Amazon Prime Videos. It's a Wonderful Life, 499 million minutes, even though it plays on television all the time. Yeah, I actually think that there's a broader story here in the top 10, and that is just how much people wanted to watch Christmas movies and how much free time they had. Because Mm -hmm. to make the top 10 in movies this week, you needed to have 499 million minutes. And then second and third place were 926 and 864. That's a total that wins a lot of weeks. Elf was 836. These are massive numbers for second, third, fourth place, and a large number to actually create crack the top 10. People really wanted that Christmas content. Yeah. We saw this last year too, but yeah, there were, it's, but it's not almost all Christmas movies. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's, that's true. It is almost all Christmas movies. And I guess the calendar configuration certainly helped. This is the week prior to and including Christmas day, Christmas, Christmas Eve. So yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it is impressive to see these numbers that normally win the week and then the, the, the pretty high bar to actually make the top 10. And then there's one other point I want to make, which is, you know, when you see these sequels, like there was a new home alone last year, and then there was a Christmas story update with, you know, mm-hmm. the original character and neither of those actually charted. Whereas the old home alones and the old Christmas story did. So it is those classics, no matter how much we try and update the brand yeah the christmas updates how are really taking off say unlike say you know pocus pocus 2 we'll see what happens in, in, in future years all right so now we are going to look at monday december 26th to sunday january 1st 2023 so let's see how people spent that week between christmas and, and new year's and yeah they they still watch just a bunch of stuff on, on streaming the top show is of course still jack ryan but actually it's really really close i mean 1.6 billion minutes for its first full week of availability for its third season. Not much more to, to say here that, that that's excellent. You know, we know Amazon has some strong shows, this and and Reacher and and now brings brings a power. They have their their things that get people to remember, oh yeah, I can watch this on, on, on Amazon. Wednesday is actually right behind it with 1.6 uh, billion minutes as well, literally just like 50,000 <laughs> minutes behind apparently. So extremely close. Uh, yeah. But- that- their point I'd like to make just for the two weeks combined, Wednesday was really only about 50 million total minutes away from winning mm-hmm. last week and this week. I mean, we're talking about what weeks five and six at this point. Its sustainability is remarkable. Yes, isn't it, it? yes it's holding well. I, I I do credit that to it being the time period of the week of the week or the week before and the week after Christmas, which is similar to things we see at, at box office where people had more time and, and, and they watched it. But yeah, it did it is holding extremely well, even though Netflix mainly focuses on the first month after after something's released. Yeah, that's an excellent point. All these kind of have an inflation to them, don't they? Yeah, a little bit to 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 a certain degree. So we'll probably see a bit of a hangover next next week with the first full week of the the, the new year. 
there. But yeah, it, it is just fun to see some uh, some big numbers this week. Uh, it's a lot of the same shows, but there's a couple new ones here on, on Originals. Uh, Emily in Paris is third, 1.3 billion minutes. That has now been out for, for a full week. The Recruit drops to 953 million minutes. Uh, this is new though, The Witcher Blood Origin. Four episodes, 912 million minutes for the spinoff series. Starring who? Michelle Yo, Academy, Academy Award, Award nominee. Top. That's right. <laughs> yeah. This, this actually dropped on December 25th. So yeah, this was, it's, it had a, had a, had a full week, but the Witcher has been popular. So I'm not surprised to see a spinoff series here. It's hilarious how this has unfolded. Cause I remember what a big deal it was when Star Trek got Michelle Yo. They can't afford her now. Just a couple of years later, she has become <laughs> way too big for them. <laughs> And I do wonder if maybe the uh, the newfound fame is going to see the Witcher Blood Origins maybe come back up into the charts in a couple of weeks. We already know, I believe, that everything everywhere all at once is apparently coming back to theaters. So watch for maybe a little spike in those ratings. Yeah, that's the thing. We haven't really seen it much in movies yet, but this is kind of a new phenomenon where, you know, a, an older title on streaming is suddenly an Academy Award, you know, like not just contender, but co-favorite. So it could explode back. Yeah, we, we've we lamented the lack of an Oscar bump on the streaming ratings, especially with the movies and the Best Picture nominees and, and even the Best Picture winners. But yeah, I do expect to see everything everywhere all at once, even though I actually don't know where it's streaming right now. <laughs> Actually, you will probably see ads on your set-top box telling you to see it on Paramount+. Plus. You can't. It is available on Showtime, which is an add-on to Paramount+. Plus. I was deeply disappointed to discover this. Those f***ers. Yeah, that actually really reduces its odds of us seeing it then if it's part of Showtime and it's therefore an add-on to, well, not just Paramount+, Plus, but I think multiple streaming services too. Like, Isn't there something Mm -hmm. with uh, Prime as well? Although, of course, Paramount is moving forward on their merger of Showtime with Paramount Plus. And mm-hmm. so they expect you to believe that it is all one streaming service. It's not right now. It is an add-on. You have to pay extra. Yeah, I can watch it on Amazon Prime if I pay for Showtime on Amazon for $11 a month. Oh, dear. How sad. I've, well, that now, now I'm not expecting to see it because it's it's not simply available on a service. All right, we're still talking about original series here. Something else new in Six Treason. Five episodes, 790 million minutes for a British miniseries that arrived on December 26th, starring, oh, I recognize Charlie Cox. Okay, and then uh, some, some other names. And that's probably why it's here, because he's in it. Uh, seventh is uh, The Best Man, Final Chapters, uh, still holding on from Peacock, 735 million minutes. Alice in Borderland, 458 million minutes. I Am a Killer in Ninth, 456 million minutes. And The Crown pokes its head back onto the list, 413 million minutes in 10th for 50 total episodes. Movies, okay, we've gotten all the Christmas movies out of the way because now that we're past Christmas, everyone stopped watching those, thank God. But Glass Onion is, of course, still on top. So with the first full week, 2.8 billion minutes. So it took a jump even after that that massive number for just three days. Yeah, so that's really 5 billion in its first 10 days. Yeah, that that's phenomenal. Massive. Yeah. For Amazing. Mm-hmm. The, the point we need to emphasize here, and it's going to come up in the yearly as well, one film getting this many minutes is astonishing because the series we're talking about have, you know, dozens if not hundreds of episodes. This means a staggering percentage of Netflix subscribers watch Glass Onion 2. Yeah, that's one of the biggest numbers we've ever seen for for a movie. 
So yeah, that deal with Ryan Johnson was well worth it, Netflix. And and there's there's more more to come, possibly even as as soon as the end of this year. This really speaks to the question of why why put a movie exclusively on streaming? Why didn't they keep it in theaters, theaters longer yeah. and they only had like that one or two week period? It's because people want to see this movie. And now if you want to see the third one, you have to subscribe to Netflix. That's the deal. Netflix knows what they're doing. Uh, we do have some new and returning entries to the movies chart for this week with clearing out of all those Christmas movies. Matilda the Musical is in second, 839 million minutes for this adaptation that arrived on Netflix on Christmas Day. And it was, in fact, a theatrical release in the UK. Netflix just bought US distribution mm. rights. Yep. Uh, Strange World, with its first full week of availability on Disney+, Plus, jumps to third with 753 million minutes. So, okay. Not bad, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. We had to temper expectations after its theatrical disappointments and we weren't expecting Encanto, but yeah, that's fine. I mean, I think we need to also put this one in some context that this was probably the most trash Disney animated movie in what, 15, 20 years, probably since Treasure Planet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one month of that incredible hostile negative buzz and apparently it made people want to check it out or people are just stubbornly going to try Disney animation no matter what the reviews say. So I take positives from this. Yeah, that number's fine, especially for something that's not Pixar. That's not a musical. Yeah, I'm sure they're they're fine with how how it did on on streaming. Uh, the Imitation is in fourth, 664 million minutes. This is a horror movie that did it have a theatrical release earlier this year. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I was going to say in August is when it came out. I remember seeing a lot of commercials for it. I do remember the time frame. Okay. Uh, actually, yeah, landed on Netflix on the 24th. So this this was the, the full week. Uh, you know, it was buried by the, the Christmas films for the first, first three days. But here it is with an, an okay number. Sure. Trolls from Netflix, not to be confused with Troll. Uh, this is the, the animated one, 501 million minutes. And not Trolls World Tour. Not Trolls World Tour, right. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't want like families to maybe confuse those either, like. Don't watch, don't, <laughs> don't watch Troll. Don't watch Troll, yes. <laughs> there is something about this, though, because right around this time, Universal Studios announced that it's going to build a new theme park in Frisco, Texas. And a lot of it is going to be based on the Trolls IP. So they're kind of starting to elevate that brand more than maybe people realize its popularity justifies. It's kind of an, a subversive, super popular franchise. And I don't think most people know that. Yeah, I think that that it doesn't feel like it, especially because Trolls World Tour was one of those first films released at the start of the pandemic and how it went, you know, it was going to be a theatrical release. And then it was one of the first things that they they just said, okay, fine, we're just going to put it out on streaming because we have no idea when theaters are going to open again. But it still did fairly well. But this is fun to see in six from Disney Plus, Avatar. 442 million minutes. Wait a minute. That had no cultural impact. <laughs> None at all. I mean, but well, with that, with that amount of minutes viewed, what is that like 20, 30 people maybe? That's all. <laughs> Yeah, that's about right. We also want to say right as we're recording this, word has just come down that Avatar The Way of Water has become the fourth most successful movie of all time, which means that James Cameron has officially created three of the top four blockbusters ever. I think he's pretty good at his job. How many times do we have to say it? Stop underestimating this man. <laughs> right. <laughs> I still heard his next film's going to bomb. I mean, no, no one saw the last one. Why would they keep making another Avatar? 
if he had done Alita Battle Angel, it would have earned five hundred million dollars. That's just <laughs> the way those, those things work. Uh, the last new entry on the movies this week is White Noise in seventh, four hundred fourteen million minutes. This is a Noah Baumbach film. Yeah, the, this was certainly a Netflix attempt at getting some awards love this year, but the movie just did not click and it has actually received some uh, poor reviews. Yeah, middling to poor. And yes. based on recent events, I guess that means the director will run for Senate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 63% fresh, which probably feels like the lower end of uh, the, the spectrum for his, for, for his films. And yeah, no no Oscar uh, nominations. Apparently this cost $100 million to make too. So what the heck? What? At least according to Wikipedia. I don't know. I don't know how, how or why that's possible. Well, that just sounds ridiculous. That, that, that absolutely does. Yeah, I'm not one of those people who badmouths Netflix's decision-making for the most part, but that one is hard to defend. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. The last three are some uh, returning entries. Uh, Bullet Train in eighth, 409 million minutes. Ordinarily, I'd be most excited about that. But, Tim, what's in ninth place again? Welcome back in Kanto. Yeah, baby. Yep. <laughs> We're one, back. One year later, folks. So just to be clear, people's choices were a November 2021 release in Canto or Black Adam. And what did they take, Tim? Uh, they 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 chose Encanto because Black Adam's in 10th, 333 million minutes. That's on HBO Max. Black Adam is just going to be a punchline moving forward. I mean, you cannot express what a disaster this how, is on how, every level. How long until The Rock denies he was even in it? <laughs> Black Adam was such a disappointment that somehow James Gunn wound up in charge of D.C., <laughs> the rock is probably trying every chance he gets like to to because like can i still get in the mcu somehow can i is there and is there anything I'll, I'll take anything we didn't mention acquired last week because it really wasn't worth it but i will mention this week because it's it's still 10 shows we've seen before but it is led by yellowstone cracking one billion minutes viewed congratulations meacock you're a real service now <laughs> And that's how they lost a billion dollars. So not Paramount Plus. Not Paramount Plus, right. Because, well, we we know why this happened, though, because the, the new spinoff series, actually multiple spinoff series, but the newest one, forgetting which year they're using this this time, the one with, with Harrison Ford and, and Helen Mirren arrived on, on Paramount Plus, which we still don't have ratings for. But yeah, that, that definitely led people to realize that they, could, they wanted to watch Yellowstone and they could find it on Peacock. Of all the shows that we could be seeing on the ratings right now, that's uh, that spinoff, 1923 or Mayor of Kingstown or Tulsa King or, 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 some, or something called Top Gun Maverick. Exactly. And yet Paramount Plus doesn't want to be on these ratings. And so Nielsen complies. Yeah, that's not my bigger issue here. I mean, yeah, it's annoying. But uh, Paramount, you know, it's the CBS company. CBS Viacom is one of the best run media corporations of the last 30 years. That's just the truth of it. They don't make many mistakes, which makes the Yellowstone deal that much more staggering when you examine it, there was no reason for them to cut this deal. But at the time, they just didn't know what to do with, you know, their streaming service, which wasn't Paramount Plus yet. And so they sold it off. And that has turned out to be a critical miscalculation. I do wonder when that deal expires. I imagine it's not open-ended. And at some point, the Yellowstone reruns will make their way back to Paramount Plus. And maybe then we'll start seeing Paramount Plus ratings. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be very much like when, you know, The Office went to Peacock, only the opposite. That number also does lead me to, to believe that 1923, which arrived on Paramount Plus on December 18th, is doing extremely well then. 
and Tulsa King. I mean, they're just both behemoths. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I bet we would have seen that as, as well. So when it looks like Peacock is doing better than Paramount Plus, so, something's wrong. To your point, Tim, Peacock is bragging about the fact that they're finally over 20 million paid subscribers. It took them this long. Paramount Plus is at 46 million. So, you know, just in terms of scale, of course, it would be doing better than this. I would point out that they added a quarter of those subscribers in just one quarter. At this rate, they'll have more subscribers than Paramount Plus in 2024. (laughs) Or what we just saw was the combination of the Hulu to Peacock bump, the sudden influx of some genuinely good movies, and the Yellowstone bump. And I think out of all those, the Yellowstone bump matters the most. What? Mm -hmm. Not the Hallmark bump? <laughs> no, of Sadly, course. Sadly, no. There, there's a lot. There's a lot that factored into the fact that Peacock went from 15 to 20 million subscribers in one quarter. It's not sustainable. It's not going to happen every quarter. But you know, you, you got to give them some credit for that. Now, right? They made their best push, and we shouldn't undersell it. I mean, that is a 33 percent growth. Now, you know, it's a loss leader in the short term, but at least they have sustained a infrastructure now, which is what we've been screaming for, isn't it, Raul? Oh, absolutely. And they seem to know what works for them. Again, if if they market something properly, it's going to get those eyeballs in the first week. I think they had been moving on a kind of advertising diet where they thought that folks would just discover their shows as they came to the service. But the fact is, there was nothing to draw people to the service in the first place. So what they're doing is now they're marketing what they feel is going to be successful. Watch for Poker Face to show up on these ratings in, what, four weeks? And it's probably going to be a juggernaut. Oh, you mean the show they advertised? Yes. Whoa. Directed and written by that guy who did that movie. Guy something about an onion? Exactly. Never heard of him or it. (laughs) All right. This has all been wonderful, but if you'll bear with us for a second, Kim, we've got something even better, don't we? We've got a whole year's worth of ratings stuff. And we're not going to make Tim read every single yeah, one of these that, will, that will drive you. No. That will drive you insane. I will not. We will not do that. All of uh, this is available in our show notes that you can access at streamingvoid.com. But I'm sure Tim will tell us the highlights. Yeah. So courtesy of Variety by way of Nielsen, uh, we get the top 15 programs for 2022 divided up into originals, movies and acquired. And yeah, if you had to take a guess at the most watched thing in 2022, you'd probably get it right. You'd probably get it right. Yeah. It's of course, Stranger Things. Somehow 52 billion minutes were spent watching that show this year. That's a lot of time. That is a lot of time and probably a lot of people that, you know, went back and watched past episodes, catching up to prepare themselves. Oh, oh yeah. Rewatching the whole, the whole series going back over and over, over again. You know, they did the thing where they released a couple of episodes a few weeks later just to get that bump and maybe two months worth of subscription fees. But if you really thought, you know, going through the whole the whole year, you'd probably get most of these shows just by, by guessing them. But that is a lot of Kate Bush. That is, yes, and Metallica. And I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead here just because I want to do a comparison to Stranger Things. Encanto was the number one streaming movie of the year with 27.4 billion minutes. Stranger Things had 52 billion minutes for 34 episodes. Theoretically, in terms of most viewed program, that's Encanto. 
across all of streaming, more people press play on Encanto than anything else. And let me tell you how big a hit it is. It more than doubled the second most popular streaming movie of the year. More than doubled. So when we talk about this Titanic-like phenomenon, Tim, I mean, it is just irrefutable at this point, isn't it? Yeah, that movie just absolutely dominated basically the first, I don't know, almost six months of 2022 from the moment it arrived on, on Disney+. Plus. And second, it's 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 not like they crushed something from Netflix. Second place movie is Turning Red, 11.4 billion minutes. Which is, by the way, exemplary. I mean, an yes. astonishing performance, but relative to Encanto, it just seems like it's lagging way behind. Every, everything kind of seems like, terrible, yeah, compared to Stranger Things and Encanto. All, some of these numbers, you're like, wow, that, that doesn't seem like a lot. But no, these numbers are huge. It's just those were just so monstrous. Exactly. Like Cobra Kai, fourth place, 16.7 billion minutes. That's massive. And Kanto beat it by more than 10 billion minutes. Stranger Things tripled it. And I do think there is something to the fact if you are just planning your product promotion moving forward, Stranger Things with that brilliant journey tie-in and then the Kate Bush and then Encanto with We Don't Talk About Bruno. There is really something to that viral meme. It's hard to plan it, but if you can tap into that somehow and you can get people's, uh, you know, seeing separate ways, you know, just whatever thing you can do, it makes all the difference in the world because these two programs alone, 80 billion minutes of viewing, 80 when you look at these lists, it's it's very funny how Originals is dominated by Netflix. 13 of the 15 shows are Netflix. The other two come from Amazon Prime Video, and it's The Boys in 11th, and then Rings of Power just squeaking in in 15th, which actually is pretty remarkable that just, yeah, those those eight episodes managed 9.4 billion minutes viewed total. Yeah, that's that's actually really fantastic. Yep. Meanwhile, the movie list, as predicted by Encanto and Turning Red, is actually dominated by Disney+. Plus. They have 10, mm-hmm. of the, 10 of the top 15 movies. The other all, all the other five all come from, from Netflix, and it's very funny because there are three originals, one theatrical release, and one I guess you can call it acquired. And the movie mm-hmm. that did the best for them is the acquired one, Sing 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. that's the thing about it. Like, look at all the money they spent on The Gray Man, and it did fine. But, you know, The Gray Man's 10th place between Luca and Zootopia. And, you know, Coco, had released several years ago, did basically almost as much as The Gray Man. There's just, the strength of Disney is these catalog titles, and the strength of Netflix is all of these serial programs that people just cannot stop watching. Yeah, and, and then that, that just kind of segues into the, the acquired list, which is the same shows that we we talk about every single time we go through the, the acquired list and people just watch, they watch the same episodes of NCIS over and over again. People spent 38 billion minutes watching 356 episodes of NCIS, 26 billion minutes watching almost 400 episodes of Grey's Anatomy, somehow 37 billion minutes watching the same 18 episodes of Coco Melon. That's, that's going to cause some deep scarring down the line, I'm pretty sure. That's right. 18 episodes, 38 billion minutes. I cannot imagine what that is doing to those poor parents. I mean, <laughs> if you mention Coco Melon to them, their eyes might start twitching. I mean, seriously. I'm just generally speaking, when you look at Acquired, the top 15 programs of the year, was there anything that like jumped out at you that you did think was surprising? Um, Bluey's higher than you think. Somehow that's that's this, this 21 billion minutes, which for a show we've seen... 
sporadically. Maybe higher than you think. I've been screaming that for a year. (laughs) Uh, It is good to see the the, the Simpsons. We know those are the two most watched things on on Disney Plus that landed in in 10th. And it's funny how I always say it's like almost always the same 10 shows we've seen every week. But the only one show that puzzled me, but I know we've seen it a handful of times, is 14th is SpongeBob. That's that's Amazon Prime's contribution to the to the list. But yeah, it's if if I had to sit down, you you said, okay, what what are the top 15 acquired shows for 2022? Yeah, I would have gotten most of them right, but just probably not that one. Yeah, we, we kind of talk about sometimes how we know there's like an 11 to 20 that yeah. we can't cover. Mm-hmm. And I think we just figured out what is always in 11 to 20. And those are the 13th and 14th most watched streaming programs, which is New Girl on Netflix and SpongeBob SquarePants on Prime Video. I feel like we've seen both of them in the top 10 before, but yes. not often. Mm-hmm. But they did sneak into the, and I shouldn't say sneak. I mean, this means they have massive sustained popularity to be on this list. I mean, we should be honest. These are probably the top 15 overall brands that there are. And, you know, obviously The Simpsons is in it. Seinfeld is in it. Supernatural is in it. Gilmore Girls, the ones we're talking about. But I didn't expect New Girl. And I, I'm kind of gratified to see SpongeBob. I'm actually a little disappointed Phineas and Ferb isn't on there. We'll talk about this at some point. Phineas and the Ferb was recently renewed again. And I'm hoping that kind of elevates it because it's so great. Yeah, it would have been nice to have a show in that 11 to 15 category that we hadn't seen because we always say we do wish we could we could see the the next the next 10 shows on on each list sometimes the other thing that cracks me up is every show is credited to a single streaming service except for criminal minds which disappeared from netflix and then showed up a couple months later on on hulu it's credited to various uh but it still landed 24 or almost 25 billion minutes viewed for it for its episodes and you do have to wonder if that factored in the fact that those episodes now play on Paramount Plus. Did they did they count those or if they had counted the Paramount Plus minutes, would that have in fact brought it up higher on the chart? That's an excellent point. Yeah. We'll are, never are, know. Are, yeah. Are they on both? Because now they're on Hulu, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's uh, it's actually split on Hulu oh, okay. and uh Paramount yeah. Plus. Okay, we probably talked about that. I I I just for, forgot. But yeah, I guess it, you know, because they have that the, the reboot essentially as well now. But yeah, you can you can check out this this data in in the show notes. It, it's very fascinating to to watch. When you see the numbers, yeah, it makes you realize how massive Encanto and Stranger Things were, and that just dominated streaming and pop culture in general for most of 2022. All right, as always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy this past week, and I have been playing Fire Emblem Engage, which came out just about a week ago. So I have been going through many different chapters of the story and side missions. It's an RPG for the Nintendo Switch. I'm a big fan of the series itself. And this one has some elements of Three Houses, but has taken it a different direction and also is bringing back a lot of characters from past games. They are basically your helper as you're doing some of your fightings. I am loving it. Raul, how about you? Well, let me tell you about Slow Horses. This is the UK spy thriller on Apple TV Plus, and it stars Gary Oldman. The series, based on the books by Mick Heron, tells the story of Slough House, where MI5 sends their screw-ups and misfits in the hopes that they will quit. Gary Oldman is Jackson Lamb, an old-time Cold War spy whose only job 
job is to keep his underlings from getting into trouble. But the spies at Slough House keep getting pulled into cases. I've watched the whole of the first season so far, which dealt with white nationalist extremists in the UK. And I'm hooked on season two that deals with old spies from the Soviet Union resurfacing. Oldman is invariably fantastic. He is Gary Oldman. He's great. He plays a cranky and coarse spy with a shadowy past that's just trying to live out the rest of his career. But Jack Loudon is River Cartwright, the straight arrow and earnest spy who was railroaded into Slough House by a rival who will do anything to prove that he's worthy. There's plenty of twists and turns to keep you interested with a vast cast of characters that the writers aren't afraid to kill from time to time for shock value. Each season is only six episodes, so it's a quick watch, but it's very enjoyable and really an intelligent show. It's going to make you feel smarter having watched it. I love Slow Horses and I highly recommend it. And Tim, how about you? Uh, Well, by the time you hear this, I'll have watched the Royal Rumble, but I had a snow day where it didn't snow this week, but I fired up a game I mentioned before, Disco Elysium, again, just to give it another another playthrough and is still one of the most insane in a good way games I've I've ever played. It's just so, so clever and interesting and does make you want to play it again with a different build just to see if you can, can, can do things differently. And even though all you're doing really is just talking to people and then it's it's essentially the, the voices in your head, which will pipe up depending on what, where your, your stats are are almost additional characters in the game because they they will throw out either you know information or observations or or ideas to to help you you know figure out this mystery but it is just a very wily and entertaining and clever game uh, i do hope they somehow managed to work it into a sequel or at least someone you know rips off this style in, in a good way it's been a couple of years now so we're probably getting close to that point where people just make homages to the game it's worth it at, at its full price but anytime it's on, on sale it's a, it's a steal do do play this game and david yeah so kim and i finally checked out the first two episodes of mayfair witches and kim let's just start with this what did you think I think it is off to a really solid start. I like the atmosphere of the story and it is definitely setting the stage nicely. It maybe doesn't have quite as much of the initial mystery as what the book did, but that's okay. I like that you're seeing some things up front and they're establishing it at the outset of the show and I will definitely keep watching. Yeah, I was a little disappointed in that I expected a character from the Vampire Chronicles, David Talbot, to have more of a presence in this, and apparently he doesn't. Uh, They're going to go with a different character from the Talamasca instead, but these are nitpicky things that only super fans of Anne Rice would say. The most important thing with all of this is that it tonally feels right, and that's been the complaint Roel and I have had repeatedly about Halo. The people doing this just don't get what's good about Halo. The opposite is true thus far with Interview with the Vampire and with what we've seen so far of the Mayfair witches, wherein they just seem to be fans who are concerned with ambiance and setting the table for long-term storytelling, not just immediate gratification. And we have already seen Lasher a couple of times. And so they're doing the little teases rather than, you know, really saying what the character is thus far. But I'm quite pleased with it. I can definitely tell where they're going is going to be something that makes me happy. And then the other Another thing we watched that bears special mention is episode two of The Last of Us. That is one of the best introductory scenes for a television show I've ever seen legitimately. In the first, I don't know, five to ten minutes of that episode, you fully appreciate the danger and the things they do 
in terms of n- not using too much exposition. As a writer, I realize that's always a danger. They show rather than tell in an absolutely masterful, completely confident way. And I was deeply impressed by it. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingIntoTheVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 